You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. We always appreciate being included as a part of your day. And as we get ready to start this week, there's a lot developing in the world of agriculture. Markets are moving to the upside, at least in the grains. We're going to check in with Darren Newsom, senior analyst at Bar Chart, here in just a moment. We're also seeing weather continue to drive concerns across the Corn Belt. And John Baranek of DTN Weather will join us here for segment two. We'll talk about what could be coming in the week ahead. In segment three, we're going to get the lowdown on the sunflower industry now that summer is halfway over. How's that crop look as we head towards harvest? And finally, we're going to end today with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services reflecting on what we learned on Friday from the USDA with regard to this cattle herd. We're going to start here, though, with Darren Newsom talking about these moves in the grain markets to start the week. Darren, is this still more carryover from the uh, escalation of tensions in the Black Sea? Uh, good morning, Mike. It certainly looks to be that way. I mean, uh, markets were higher at Sunday nights open, but they really seemed to to catch fire as the latest headlines came in from Ukraine, Russia uh, extending the attacks to another grain facility. Uh, so, you know, to me, this still looks like a scorched earth policy. Russia is not doing all that well, according to some sources. Uh, you know, in, in its overall invasion of uh, of Ukraine at this point. So, what they're going to do? is make it so you know no one's if they can't have the grain if they can't export it anymore nobody's going to so you know this all stems from you know killing the the you know the black sea uh, grain deal a week ago sunday night through monday morning and since then as you said it's just been an escalation and it certainly looks uh, like that's what's pushing the market this morning we saw a big rally in, in chicago wheat once again followed by corn with with soybeans lagging behind Darren, with regard to the export facilities in Ukraine being hit, uh, several of those have been uh, bombed over the past week. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as as we've talked about here, as you've mentioned on the program before, Ukraine's production isn't anywhere near what it was prior to the invasion. Why is the market concerned about these grain handling facilities when there's no grain to export anyway? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I've had some time to, to think about it, and I think the long-term effect is, you know, what's going to happen when or if this thing is ever resolved. Because, you know, we, we've dealt with it for a year and a half now. We the, the, the global supply and demand situation has reshuffled the deck and largely left the United States out. But, you know, now we're looking at not just, you know, there's no production, there's, there's really nothing to move, but it's incapable of moving it, even if there was something at this point. I know we've seen attacks on the Black Sea ports before, but these are more serious. And, you know, you mentioned you're going to have someone visiting about sunflowers. It's it's the, you know, it's the that, that was a little bit lost in the shuffle last week was that there was a sunflower facility also uh, damaged last week. And we've seen, you know, the, the global edible oil markets, palm oil, canola, soybean oil taking off as well. So, I think it has to do with the long-term look of this now. It's not just the short-term. We know there isn't any grain. Russia's stolen everything of value. But what happens down the road? How long is it going to take to get these facilities back up and running once there is something to move? Darren, taking a look at the Chicago wheat market, which seems to be the beneficiary so mm -hmm. far of the increased volume of trading, we've got that September crop pushing back towards that 750 level, mm -hmm. 750, 760 was the peak earlier this summer. Is that still going to be substantial resistance if the market gets there? From a fundamental point, yes. I mean, 750 is pretty high for soft red winter wheat. And we also have to remember, I mean, last Friday, we saw the September-December covering 73% calculated full commercial carry at the close and 67% or more is considered bearish, so fundamentally bearish. So we know the short-term supply and demand situation hasn't changed. Basis here in the United States is weakening. We've got future spreads, uh, the carry strengthening, but it's the non-commercial side that's pushing it. And so we're getting a divergence. You know, we're getting that classic rubber band disposition sort of situation. And ultimately, eventually that rubber band breaks and usually snaps back to the fundamentals. So we'll see how long it takes. We'll see how long 
the the funds are willing to continue to buy on nothing but headlines at this point because there just hasn't been a fundamental change in the market uh, at, at least up to this point. Well, but we still have weather concerns on the crop, mm -hmm. at least here in North America, growing in this season, Darren. We saw those weather concerns push that December corn crop or uh, corn market up into the three, 625 range earlier this summer. Can we get back there, given the increased interest on this Black Sea tension thing? It is possible if we combine the two, the Black Sea region, you know, all the headlines coming out of there. And you know, the fact that we are entering entering a forecasted, so this isn't a surprise, a forecasted hot and dry phase here at the end of July. But as we go forward, all of a sudden, the early part of August is starting to look a little bit more favorable. It's still supposed to be hot, but it's August. But more, more precipitation is supposed to move into the Midwest. So if we don't see a big push this week, it's going to get tough to get back up to those highs. And I think there's still going to be plenty of, of hedge pressure as we go. Uh, you know, fundamentally, there's still a lot of questions about this market. The one thing we know is there's more acres. We knew that back in February. Uh, and, and the rains so far have been better than years past. There's some problem areas. Obviously, we haven't done away with the drought. We haven't done away with the soil moisture deficit. So weather is going to still be key. Uh, I think there's an outside chance of getting back to those highs. I just think the market's going to be met with plenty of selling. Darren, we've got November soybeans back up above $14, still holding tight in there. Is this a range you want to make some sales on if we're undersold so far in our, our beans growing this year? I think so. Uh, again, fundamentally, there's there's a lot. There's still some, you know, theoretically, there's still some room to the upside. But if I don't have anything on the books and I see no beans trading at 14 uh, and, and a lot of this is coming from the products, you know, being pushed time and again by bean meal and bean oil. Uh, I think I'm going to get some. I think, I think I'm going to take some of this as it goes around. Can't, you know, it's, it 14 is not is not a bad number. Could it go higher? Sure. I mean, because we don't really know what August weather is going to bring. We know what the forecasts are. Uh, so, yeah, I think I'd take a little bit, leave some powder dry uh, and see what happens. But but certainly take some as, uh, as the plate goes around. Darren, let's zoom out a little bit. Broader market issues have certainly Im impacted commodity prices here, especially over the past three years. We've got the Federal Reserve coming mm -hmm. out later this week. Consensus seems to be there's going to be a rate hike. What's the market impact if that comes through? I don't think there's going to be much of one. And, and as I've said on here before, I like the fact that the, the Fed members and particularly uh, the Chairman Powell front run this thing. There is, you know, they, they're taking as much of the chaos out of the market as possible. Uh, you know, immediately after the last meeting, you know, the, the, the talk was, you know, we, we should expect at least one more increase. And certainly that looks like it's going to be this month. Uh, certainly looks like it's going to be another 25 basis point. I, I think the markets have it factored in. We're not seeing a huge move by the dollar. In fact, it continues to weaken. Uh, so I think the markets have basically built it in and they're looking at other issues. They're looking at weather, particularly on the grain side. You know, they're watching weather and they're watching uh, Ukraine and certainly on the on the uh, on the stock markets. They're just in a long term uptrend right now. They're comfortable with the way things are going uh, overall situation. And, and we just continue to see investment money pouring into the markets. It is. It has been a wild year. It looks like that's going to continue. Folks, we've been talking with Darren Newsom, senior analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, thanks so much for sharing your insight with us today. Really appreciate you having me on again, Mike. Folks, stay with us. We're going to dive into that weather question with John Baranek, meteorologist with DTN Weather here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. 
own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. As Darren mentioned, the markets right now aren't just watching the escalating tensions in the Black Sea region. They're also continuing to keep an eye on the weather. And the forecast over the weekend recently got a little hotter and a little drier. Joining us now for an update is meteorologist with DTN Weather, John Baranek. John, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Absolutely, Mike. Anytime. It's good to talk to you. Well, let's dive into this week ahead, John. It sounds like it might not be a great week for a lot of crops growing out there, particularly across the central corn belt. What are you expecting to see from a temperature perspective as this week goes on? Yeah, crops, livestock, anybody who needs to be out there working is going to find some increasingly uh, bad uh, temperatures here to be dealing with. Uh, we've got uh, this big dome of heat that is uh, kind of reoriented itself out in the West. It's starting to spread itself eastward and really will cover almost the entire U.S. here this week at some point. And uh, that will mean increasing temperatures into the 90s uh, for a lot of us. And the further west you are, the more likely you are to see that triple digit mark. We, uh, if, if you're west of the Mississippi River there and maybe not North Dakota and Montana so much, but uh, from South Dakota, southern Minnesota, all the way down through Texas and Louisiana, we're beginning getting close to or exceeding that 100-degree mark here uh, for a few days here this week. Uh, our best chances for doing that are actually tomorrow through Thursday, and then we, we finally get a, a cold front that'll come through out of Canada and start to bring that down a bit. But um, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a rough few days here for for crops, for livestock, for people, uh, really anything that's outside and not air conditioned. Yeah, John, of course, anytime you see that many triple digit temperature potential impact across the country, gosh, that's that's tough to look for. And I'm, you know, always looking for a silver lining with a heat dome like this. Of course, as I understand it, we're also going to see not much impact from thunderstorms as this settles in. Does that also mean we're going to have lower humidity values than we've had recently? Well, no, unfortunately, it actually looks like we're going to be seeing some higher humidity. Uh, we're going to see a lot of dew points in that in that same area. We're going to see the the you know, potential for triple digits, a lot of those dew points in the 60s and 70s. So uh, it's going to be a massive and intense heat dome. 
that settles in. So unfortunately, it's going to be a, a pretty bad one. Um, the, I guess if you're going to look for a silver lining, um, you know, while the, the forecast does look drier, it doesn't look completely dry. Uh, we do have, you know, you know, on the edge of the, these heat domes, we is a is a really good spot to produce some showers and thunderstorms. Models have not really been very keen on producing much, but you know, there's definitely some potential in there for at least some clusters, some isolated um, cells to be moving through. Mostly the northern half of the corn belts here this week, but uh, that doesn't mean that anybody else can't get in on it. Uh, we've had uh, a cluster kind of develop along the Nebraska-Iowa border here this morning and moving down into Missouri and eastern Kansas. So we can we can see any of that sort of stuff just kind of popping up. I mean, there's just a lot of energy out there for anything to use. So if it can, we can get a little spark of something, it could turn into something uh, pretty decent. All right. And I'm glad you mentioned that Iowa-Nebraska border seeing a little moisture this morning. That is certainly a place that needs it, John. As I was taking a look at the drought monitor from this last week's Thursday uh, release, that Nebraska, eastern Nebraska, central Kansas, and then that strip through central Missouri looks like it's continuing to intensify. I imagine with your forecast looking ahead that should worsen this week. Uh, it's, it'd be hard for it not to, um, even if, if it doesn't change color on the map, it'll certainly feel a lot drier out there. Um, you know, we've actually had some pretty decent rainfall in some of these areas that have had, have been in drought, uh, which has been nice, but it hasn't been enough to really kind of kick us out of it. Um, uh, so with the, the heat coming in here this week and, and the limited or, or zero rainfall, um, I would expect a lot of that drought to be kind of worse, even if it doesn't change, uh, color on the map there this week. All right. So this is going to be a week. We might see some more corn leaves rolling out there in the fields, John. But then you mentioned on Thursday that cold front pushes in from the Canadian prairies. As of now, what does the impact of that front look like it's going to be? Yeah, I mean, it's going to have a lot of heat and humidity to tap into. So I'm expecting some widespread showers and thunderstorms to be moving through. Um, it's a pretty good contrast in conditions um, from the north to south. So um as this, as this front moves through, instead of being up near 100, we'll be kind of in the lower to mid-80s across the northern plains into Minnesota uh, by the weekend. And that'll just continue to push itself kind of southward here through the weekend in the next week. Models are still trying to figure out how this is all going to play out and how far south this cold front will go and, and everything with that. So there, there may be some changing conditions, but it'll, it, the, the stress will definitely improve and we should see some rainfall out of it. Uh, next week is going to be an interesting time period because depending on where this front goes, we could see additional rainfall with it. If it makes it clear down to the Gulf of Mexico, that means it's going to be actually kind of drier up in the in the Great Lakes. But if it can stay kind of close, we might see some impulses move through and, and uh, be able to tap in a little bit more moisture. So uh, the beginning of August forecast here kind of is, is a little bit questionable right now. All right. Lots to watch as we get farther into summer. John, you mentioned if that storm makes it down to the Gulf of Mexico, could have some impacts. And that got me, that got, got, got me thinking. I've heard a lot about the exceptionally warm weather here across the Gulf of Mexico this year. Is that rising, raising the risk for uh, this tropical season? Um, no, actually, it's not. Uh, thankfully, for due to El Nino, we've got what's uh, what we call shear and a lot of it across the Gulf of Mexico into the uh, Caribbean, and uh, that really just tears apart uh, tropical cyclones. It's good for producing severe thunderstorms across the plains, but not for producing hurricanes and tropical storms. So um, uh, it's actually a, a pretty good forecast here. I don't think we're, we're heating up uh, anytime soon. We'll have to watch as we get deeper into August because things can change. And even in this higher shear profile across the Gulf of Mexico, yeah, every now and then, you know, it comes up with weaknesses in it. And with all the heat in there, um, you know, you could see something pop up. We'll watch it. Uh, but for right now, we're still at a lower risk. Of course, uh, hurricane season uh, really starts bumping up here mid to late August. So uh, we've got some time to, to, for that to really start kicking up. All right. Things things to watch, John. You mentioned that El Nino uh, impact, seeing it in the Gulf of Mexico, could lead to more thunderstorms across the northern plains. Fill us in on that transition to El Nino. How is the atmosphere coming? Yeah, it's still taking its time. The atmospheric component is. Uh, the sea surface temperatures are definitely there, um, and they have been for quite some time, actually. Um, but it's, it's just been kind of interesting that it's been the entire Pacific Basin that's been above normal. Um, and usually what we see during El Nino is we see some cooling temperatures, um, kind of closer to Asia and Australia. Uh, but that really, you know, that's been a very slow process so far. And that's kind of messed with our weather here a little bit, uh, in the U S but we're, we're, 
it looks like at least towards um, you know the middle of August, late August, we should see that transition kind of pick up a little bit more and really being entrenched in that El Nino circulation. That means by the time we get to September, and I know that's kind of getting kind of late into the season, but um, that we, we should finally get into this kind of El Nino pattern we've been expecting uh, for a while now. Okay, John, are those El Nino current changes or challenges to our weather systems? Is that what's causing the slow start to the monsoon across the desert southwest? I, I'm not exactly sure. Um, it could be. I mean, if a lot of, of what has uh, to do with, with the monsoon is drawing up a bunch of moisture from the Pacific Ocean uh, to produce those showers and thunderstorms, and that's been very slow. Um, so far this summer, usually we see that popping up in early to mid July and it's, I mean, it, it actually has started, but it's been kind of slow and I haven't seen any widespread real coverage of that monsoon just yet. And the shear that kind of comes across the Southern, uh, end of, of the U S and into the Gulf of Mexico, like I mentioned, can kind of push a lot of that moisture that's supposed to go up into like four corners area into the great basin kind of you know, further east into the into the plains and into the southeast U.S. So um, that might that might be a, a, a portion of it, but yeah, you know, I don't know enough, I guess, about um, how the mechanics of, of that monsoon to to really gauge why it's a little bit later this year. We just uh, we do um, see usually during El Nino years, it's a little bit slower and a little bit lighter uh, there in the southwest. Okay, John, I'm also curious. We've seen a lot of impact of smoke from those Canadian wildfires here across the United States this growing season. We haven't talked much about their cropland up there. How does the weather look across the Canadian prairies right now? It depends on where you are. If you're in southern Alberta or southern Saskatchewan, uh, it's been very dry over the last several weeks. Uh, they've had plenty of rainfall go through northern Alberta, northern Saskatchewan, and you know, part of Manitoba though. So it's kind of a, a mixed bag as we go up into, into the Canadian prairies. Um, you know, those Southern areas that have been drier have also been hotter. Of course, they're closer to the, the U.S. And they got in on, on a little bit of that heat dome here yesterday and into today. So they're going to see temperatures again uh, up in the 90s. That's very atypical. If you if you look at Calgary, um, their, their normal high right now is about 70, 72 degrees. And so when you're talking about 90 degrees, you're talking about 20 degrees above normal. It's kind of stressful uh, for those folks up there. Um, they will see a system move through. And I mentioned, you know, that cold front that will go through the U.S. will be part of that. Um, but models really don't like southern, southern Alberta, southern Saskatchewan with any of this rainfall. We may see a little bit with that cold front through, moving through, but not much. Um, other areas of the Canadian prairies doing just fine, though. So uh, it's kind of, like I said, kind of a mixed bag there for the Canadian prairies. All right, folks, lots to watch. This growing season isn't done yet. We've been talking with John Baranek, meteorologist with DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Stick around. We're talking sunflowers with John Sandbach when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. On the internet, there are tons of special networking websites, but one stands apart. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. Did you know in the U.S., 19 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant? If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, please visit MatchingDonors.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grain and oil seeds are mostly higher this morning, led by the wheats. However, corn and beans are not too far behind. A lot of moving parts this morning. Russia attacked Ukraine once again overnight. Now, part of the stated reason for withdrawing from the Black Sea Grain Initiative was Russia's complaint that not enough Ukrainian grain was going to the poorer countries of the world, 
Ukraine publicly stated that it would find other ways to ship grain and Russia promptly started bombing Ukraine's ports that would make such shipments possible. That included last night's bombing of the seaport on the Danube River that provides a border between Ukraine and Romania. And this is signaling that infrastructure facilitating exports overland may now also be considered as potential targets. Russia is appearing to be determined to withhold as much Ukrainian grain as possible from the world market, not only now, but longer term as well. It is going to take some time to rebuild the infrastructure being damaged by these attacks. The markets are higher today, but they're responding probably more to the escalation of the war that will negatively impact grain shipments longer term than they are the immediate impact. Russia also continues to dump cheap wheat on the world market, and Brazil's record harvest has the world well supplied with corn near term. This week is also Fed Week on Wall Street. Fed fund futures are now pricing in a 100% odds of a 25 basis point rate hike on Wednesday, but stock futures have a firmer tone to them this morning because that's the last rate hike expected by traders, with rates then expected to decline by 100 to 125 basis points during 2024. At least that's the expectation being priced in by the market currently. We're also going to get USDA's weekly crop progress and conditions report due out this afternoon. We can expect to see improving conditions, although this week's improvement should be more modest than those of the past couple of weeks. It's going to be very hot across the Midwest this week, so we may see crop conditions decline next week and possibly the week after, depending on the duration of the current weather pattern. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, here on AOA. Of course, we like to keep track of what's happening in the markets. We've talked corn, beans, wheat, cattle, and hogs quite a bit, but we also like to focus in on the other sectors throughout agriculture that continue to see movement. And over the past two years, I've learned a lot about the sunflower industry, both domestically and globally, by talking with John Sandbachen. He serves as the executive director for the National Sunflower Association, and he joins us today with an update on the industry. John, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Well, thank you for having me on your program today, Mike. Let's first get the feel of how this sunflower crop looks across the country. John, at the start of the month here, of course, we got the acreage report from the USDA. Saw some shocks to corn and soybean acreage. Were there any big changes to sunflower acreage this year? You know, we're down about 20% on our overall acres from where we were last year at this time. And, you know, we had last year in 2022, we had the second highest yield ever for sunflower in the United States. And so... You know, there was quite a bit of seed in the bin. And usually when you've got a situation like that, you kind of, you know, kind of acres get kind of pushed back a little bit in the following year. So not much of a surprise. But, you know, right now the crop is looking fantastic. And I'm thinking, you know, we're going to have another nice crop here in 2023. Oh, wow, John. I'm glad to hear the crop is looking fantastic. I was going to ask you next about how conditions look because sunflower is produced in a very wide geographic expanse. You've got North and South Dakota. You've got Kansas. You've got Texas across the board. How are the states all doing okay? You know, it, you know, in most states, we, we were a little bit concerned in the high plain states in Colorado and Kansas because of the drought situation there. But, you know, they've really been receiving a lot of rain here ever since, you know, May and, and into, especially into June. And so the crop just looks unbelievable for the high plains region. And, you know, we're really seeing, you know, good, good prospects, I think, for a decent crop on the Dakotas. It's, it's getting a little bit drier in places, but sunflower is pretty drought tolerant. 
and you know it, it looks good we're into the bloom stage you know just starting that right now um and so that'll really get going on here in the next few weeks and overall i would say crop conditions look very good Crop conditions look good, John. On top of that big crop from 2022, I would imagine that heading into this growing season, prices were were lower than they were heading into last year's growing season. Is that correct? Well, you know, you know, definitely the last year. You know, we're we're probably you know about about half of where we 50 percent of where we were last year's time. But then we had that war premium tacked onto when when Russia invaded Ukraine, and we were at over forty dollars. You know, and right now we're hanging in that twenty one to twenty two dollar range, and um, it's just one of those things that obviously you, the war premium is not going to continue to exist um, that we had last year. But overall, historically, when you look at sunflower prices, you know, we're, we're definitely above the average historically. John, that's incredible. So in 2022, the price of sunflowers was up at $40. This year, we're down 21 22 So we're almost half the price. Can you fill our audience in who, who maybe aren't connected to the world of sunflowers? Why did the Russian invasion of Ukraine have such an outsized impact on sunflower and sunflower oil pricing? We, we, if you take those two countries combined, Russia and Ukraine, they represent about 75 to 80 percent of all the sunflower oil that's exported in the world. I mean, they're the largest producers. And, you know, when when Russia invaded Ukraine, it just created a lot of uncertainty in the market. And and some of a lot of the supplies, obviously, from Ukraine were shut off from the rest of the world. And so everybody was scrambling, trying to find oil and, and fulfill their needs, and especially on the short term basis. And so it just really ramped up oil, all oil prices here in the U.S., but especially sunflower because of, you know, that need to find new sources of sunflower oil. And so our seed prices responded um, and had the producers had the best prices ever in, in the history of sunflower. And now, of course, we've got Russia and Ukraine back in the news. John, part of the reason I wanted to have you on right now was because we do have this escalation of tensions in the Black Sea region. We've seen the markets respond in both corn and wheat over the past week. Have you seen a market response in the sunflower trade? You know, definitely both for old crop and new crop. We're up about 10 to 20 percent from where we were just a week ago. And uh, I think it's some of that, you know, fear is creeping back into the market about supply. Um, and it's it's getting domestic buyers and even like other North American buyers looking to the U.S. to secure their supplies. And so I, I think that the crushers are seeing that. And that's obviously why seed prices have gone up, because right now, you know, supposedly the Russians have said that, you know, they're going to blockade the ports once again. And any ship that comes in, they're going to consider it to be an enemy ship, even if it's a commercial ship. And from what I've read, um, it's, it's just about impossible right now to get any kind of insurance. And most shipping companies do not want to have their ships going into the Black Sea because they don't want to obviously take that risk. So it, it's just going to create more more market uncertainty and just, you know, better prospects for sunflower prices here in the months ahead. John, as we think this through, looking from the industry-wide perspective, as you do as the executive director of the National Sunflower Association, are you hearing questions from processors perhaps looking to expand their processing capacity here in the U.S. or or maybe leaving Eastern Europe to, to expand here? Or is the industry still hoping they can go back to getting all their supplies from the Black Sea region at some point? You know, I really, you know, I don't have a good answer for that right now. I think it's, you know, this is going to be the second time that this has happened. And the longer the Ukraine-Russia conflict continues to drag out, it's going to get people to think about alternatives. And it's going to be something that they're going to look at, you know, where they're at as far as how they've been sourcing their product, their, you know, the channels that they're going to have to take it through. And whenever something like this happens, it always makes people a little bit more, comfortable buying from the U.S. because obviously we're stable, um, just great facilities and in that ability to deliver the product. So, you know, I think the longer this drags out, the more and more appealing it's going to be to buy U.S. oil. That is good to hear, John. Are, are we, I guess I should ask, are you expecting to see increased purchases of U.S. oil be used here domestically, perhaps in the U.S. or Canada where we have some facilities to do it? Or could this be a year we see uh, more soybean exports moving overseas? Well, you know, for sunflower exports, John, I apologize. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. Actually, you know, our domestic demand here in the U.S. for sunflower oil has grown just at a, a in the last five years. We've seen a 67 percent increase in domestic consumption for sunflower oil in the U.S. and in Canada. Um, you know, th- that's our two biggest markets. We're, we're the main supplier, obviously, in the U.S. and especially in Canada. And so, you know, the future looks really bright, especially with renewable diesel being such a, a huge factor in the market. 
I mean, th there's going to be a lot of oil that's going to be displaced into the diesel market. And, you know, Sunflower is just here. We're ready to fill in that demand on the food side, you know, to because obviously we're, we're going to the demand for oil is not going to get smaller. It's going to increase in the future years. So and I, I think we're in a really good position to fulfill that need. Uh, sunflower oil is 40 percent oil content in the seeds and bean oil is only 20 percent. So we, we can provide twice the amount of oil that that soybeans could. That's fascinating, John. And as you look out to the future, I'm hoping we can just spend a little time on this oil being used uh, for fuel discussion. You anticipate sunflower oil perhaps not going into biodiesel production, but instead replacing the food aspect of that soybean oil that is going into production. Is that right? Definitely, definitely. You know, we're we're always a premium priced oil versus sun versus soybean or canola, and and our role is to be in the food industry. That's where we have our the best applicability of the oil. Um, and that's where the demand is going to be. And as you pull off more soybean and more canola oil into renewable diesel, obviously that's going to be replaced. And so for us being a very good oil and, and having a lot of good properties that food processors want, you know, our, our future is going to be on the food side. And that's where we're going to see the greatest growth. That's fantastic. And it's fascinating, John, that this growth has been in place long before these tensions erupted in the Black Sea, 67% growth over the past five years. My next question then, on the production side, are we able to meet this demand through yield increases, John, or are you expecting to see more growers put more sunflower acres in the ground in the years to come? Actually, it's, it's going to be a combination of both. Our yields have gone up. You know, we're averaging you know, when I first started working at the association over 20 years ago, if you were to get 1,000, 1,200 pounds, that, that was that was a really good sunflower yield. And now everybody's shooting for a ton or higher. I mean, if you get below a ton, most producers are disappointed because that's, you know, that that's kind of like the norm right now. And so our, our hybrids have improved every single year. Um, yields continue to increase. And we're also going to see an expansion in acres too, I believe. It's just one of those things where Sunflower fits in very well in the rotation, especially in the central part of the U.S., and it's something that, that producers are looking at, and I, is, is prices stay competitive for our seed? I think we're going to see more acres. John, I'm curious, if we're going to bring more acres into production, we're probably going to have more farmers growing sunflowers who have maybe never grown them in their lives. They don't have the experience. What sort of educational opportunities are out there for growers curious about rolling sunflowers into a rotation, particularly there in the central plains? Well, you know, we, we've been the last couple of years, we've, we've been putting on webinars for growers just to like like a, a 101 on sunflower production. And it, it's been very well received. We've had anywhere from two to 300 growers every time we do this webinar. And we do them in, in the North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota region, but then also in the High Plains region in Kansas, Colorado, Nebraska, and into Texas. Um, they've been very well received. Usually we have experts from whether it be North Dakota State University or from K-State or from CSU, um, you know, talk about how to grow sunflower, uh, new trends that are in sunflower, and it's been very well received. Plus, if, if we've had very many, we've had a lot of calls here at the office, and usually what I can try to do is find somebody who can mentor, you know, that new grower, someone that, that's an experienced sunflower grower in Colorado or in, in South Dakota or in Texas, and, and I helped line them up, and it's been worked out very well. That's fantastic. John, then if we've got listeners who are maybe curious about incorporating sunflower into the rotation, how can they get a hold of you? How can they keep up to speed on when those uh, sunflower 101 trainings might be coming? Well, you know, the best way to do it would be to go out on our website at www.sunflowernsa.com. And it's the main resource for all sunflower related questions and information nsa.com folks that's the national sunflower association we've been talking with john sandbach and he serves as the executive director and john thanks so much for filling us in on your industry today well thank you for having me on your program mike and folks leave it here when aoa returns we'll discuss the cattle inventory and cattle on feed results with dennis smith of archer financial services Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi. 
I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. What's your favorite talk show? Where do you hear music that transports you to another time? In an emergency, where do you turn for the most up-to-date information? Well, 80 million Americans depend on AM radio each month. It's the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping the public safe in dangerous times. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why, and you could win $500. It's that easy. Visit whyilisten.com today. That's whyilisten.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 B.C. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and now we're going to turn our focus to the cattle markets. Last Friday saw the release of two reports here for the cattle trade. Joining us now to break down the numbers is Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. Dennis, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, you bet, Dennis. As we take a look at the trade to start the week, both live and feeder cattle are down, though I'm guessing today's moves in feeder cattle is more related to the action in the corn trade than it is Friday's report. Is that your sense? Yeah, I would think so. With corn up 20, so that's got the feeders a little bit depressed right now. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, Dennis, let's dive into these Friday reports. We had both the cattle inventory report released twice a year from USDA and the monthly cattle on feed report. Let's talk cattle inventory first. We've talked about this herd shrinking for several years. What did the numbers show? Yeah, the, the numbers are, were really consistent. That they were they were smaller across the board in all categories, with one exception milk cows 100% of a year ago. In the beef sector, everything is lower. Uh, the total cattle and calves is at 97%, so down 3%. The, uh, the beef cows is the, the smallest that we have on record uh, since the USDA has been tracking this at just over 29 million. The calf crop, Mike, uh, down 2%. And again, it's a record low calf crop. So. Uh, some traders were disappointed with the numbers, but I was like, uh, you know, we've been shrinking this cattle herd now for five years, uh, and it, it's been going down, and uh, I don't see how you could be disappointed with, with what this uh, report shows. Yeah, smallest number of mama cows in this country since at least 1972. Dennis, that's got to put some wind under these sales long term of the live cattle complex. With regard to the cattle on feed data that came out on Friday, was there anything surprising there? Yeah, the on feed report showed a, an uptick in the placement rate. So during June, placements were up 3%. Now, Mike, this is the second consecutive month that placements have come in above a year ago and have come in above uh, trader expectations. Now, uh, according to the math, uh, larger placements in June should have a negative impact on the December and the February cattle contracts. But, you know, we're seeing a real mixed bag. December cattle are down 25, but February cattle are up 55. Uh, and that compares with October and August down about 75 points. So uh, it's a little bit questionable what the impact on this on-feed report is having in today's market. Dennis, the other number that jumped out at me on Friday's cattle on-feed report, you mentioned placements up 3%. The corollary to that is marketing. So the animals leaving those feedlots, they were down 5%. That's another slowdown, isn't it, in marketings? It's a slowdown, and that's a, a, that's being totally engineered by the beef packers as they're controlling the thoroughput. They're controlling this thing, trying to keep margins positive, and they're failing to do so. Uh, packer margins are currently in the red, and honestly, Mike, they've, they've turned into the red for the first time in over three years. And this is due to the uh, tightening supply of finished cattle. So. Yeah, that marketing number uh, at first blush was not a good number at 95%. Uh, but, but it, again, is uh, demonstrating that how tight beef supplies and fed cattle uh, supplies are and will continue to be. Dennis, of course, as we see those marketing slow down, the risk rises for the cattle feeding industry that carcasses begin to grow in weight. Do we have any indication that that's what's developing here at Feedlots? Yeah, in fact, the carcass weights have just bottomed out, uh, according to the data in the last couple of weeks. Uh, that's also very normal. Uh, this is the time of year when weights do bottom out, uh, sort of just the opposite of the hog market. Uh, you know, cattle carcass weights bottom out, and now they'll improve probably from here until maybe sometime in November. 
so a little bit of extra weight on each carcass is going to help the packer. That'll sort of be in the packer's favor. Uh, but uh, as supplies tighten up further, they're, they're in for a pretty long period of struggling margins, in my opinion. And of course, those margins are all going to trace their way back to the beef business. Dennis, what have you seen lately as packers have tried to throttle back on that throughput? Is that helping sustain values of wholesale box beef? Yeah, it's going to help. It, it, we are seeing some stability right now in the wholesale beef, and, and it's uh, stabilizing above $300 uh, in the choice beef category. I think your latest uh, calculation Friday was uh, 302.74 in the choice beef, and again, showing signs of stability. Uh, we'll see how it starts out early this week, but uh, uh, that, that's fairly impressive. Uh, it's a little early, maybe. Uh, we're not even into August yet uh, for the for the beef to really bottom out. But uh, uh, again, uh, production's headed down and demand remains good. With those two factors at play, production coming down, demand coming up, Dennis, I looked at some of the deferred live cattle contracts that April of 24 trading at 191 right now. $200 still in the cards for live cattle values at some point? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I, I think you'll continue to see uh, um, sort of a, a record-breaking type year as far as the cattle prices. Um, you know, this cash share market's a record high territory and, and looks to stay that way. Um, barring some sort of a, a financial collapse, uh, Mike, I, I think that's the only thing that could really throw this thing off. And boy, when you look at what the stock market's doing, it does not appear like there's any real fear uh, of many financial collapse happening. That's true. There does seem to be a lot of optimism could offer long-term support for cattle producers. That's Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. Folks, tune in tomorrow to AOA. We'll talk markets. We'll also talk with Jesse Allen, who will soon be the host of this great program. Tune in tomorrow for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Put a frog in boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As veterans, we tell ourselves the lie that we can handle anything. We let the water boil. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.